been a wonderful joy and a privilege to come and minister to you people. And although so many visitors have now gone back to their own churches, it's wonderful to see so many people here. In the audience, uh, two good friends of mine, Mr. and Mrs. Thompson. Mr. Thompson has been with me in many parts of the world. He now lives over here. Uh, we went out to dinner last night. I didn't know that Mrs. Thompson was an ardent Alabama football fan. <laughs> when they came back to my motel, we didn't know what the score was, so I turned on the TV, and when she saw that Alabama had beaten Tennessee, she squealed with joy. <laughs> we are real Christians in this church. Sister, we love our enemies. <laughs> the Lord bless them. If you have your Bible, please turn to the first book of Kings, chapter 21. Follow along as I read a few verses. 1 Kings, chapter 21. I am about to commence at the first verse. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel close by the palace of Ahab the king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth saying, Give me thy vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbiddeth me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And the king laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And ladies and gentlemen, thereby hangs the story I wish to tell this morning. But first of all, 
I was in a train traveling overnight from Edinburgh, Scotland to London. Night was falling and the snow was coming down. The windows were getting steamed up and I guessed we were a bit bored. So somehow or other, I opened a conversation with the gentleman sitting opposite me. I found out that he was a high school master. He'd been back to his home in North Scotland to bury his mother. He found out I was an evangelist. I'd been in the Shetland Isles preaching. And we talked. And one thing led to another. And at last I said, Sir, honest, what does your faith mean to you? Oh, he said, I'm an elder of my church. I said, I didn't ask that. Well, he said, I support my pastor. And I said, I didn't ask that either. I asked, how much does your faith, how much does Jesus mean to you? You know, in school, every day, not just when you go to church, all the time. Hmm. Well, well, if you put it that way, how much does Christ mean to me every day? Hmm. To be honest, nothing. An elder of his church, his faith meant nothing. I said, do you want to know what my faith means to me? He said, yes. Everything. I couldn't live without Christ. <laughs> now then, in God's name, come on, you young people down here. Honestly, how much does Jesus mean to you in school? How much does Jesus mean to you businessmen in your business? Mother, how much does Jesus mean to you, not in church, but in your home? I want to talk to you about a young fella whose faith meant something. And if God will help me, the story will speak for itself. Ladies and gentlemen, a long, long time ago, Close by the palace of King Ahab, there was a wonderful little vineyard. The plants were healthy, the paths neat and clean, the fruit luscious. And if you could have been there any old day, you would have seen a youngster lovingly tending his vines. As far back as he could go in thought, he remembered that vineyard for when he was a little boy, his daddy took him there. And for that matter, when his daddy was a little boy, his father also had taken him there. It was a little bit of heaven on earth, and that boy loved his vineyard more than I can tell. One day, out of the palace on the hill came the king. Came down some steps, stood on his elevated lawns, looked out over the country, and suddenly he saw that vineyard. He said, good Lord, I never saw that before. Within a matter of moments, he was coming down the lane, he opened the little gate, and in he went. And the boy, hearing somebody approaching, looked up, 
recognized the king, respectfully bowed his head. And the king said, son, is, is this your vineyard? Yes, sir. Well, 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 well. You know, kid, I must have been blind. I never saw this vineyard till a couple of minutes ago. I'm not only blind, I'm stupid. I've been running all over this blessed country looking for what was already on my doorstep. See, son, I'm going to have a special garden of herbs. And a uh, so this is your vineyard. Yes, sir. Do you mind if I have a look? And the king went off on a tour of inspection, and when he came back, his eyes were starved. He said, wonderful. Just what I want. One, hey, son, how much do you want for your vineyard? Oh, I'm not stingy. Hey, I'm king. <laughs> Ask whatever you will. But I want your vineyard. How much? When the youngster remained silent, the king looked at him hard. And then he smiled. He said, I am stupid. It's so wonderful to see a young fellow with ambition. Hey, son. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not withdrawing my offer. You ask, I don't care, any amount of money, it's yours. But then, maybe, uh-uh. Maybe you'd like another vineyard in exchange. Ten times as big? Twenty times? Oh, I don't care. I'll give you another vineyard for it. And for every shekel you make in this one, you make a hundred in, in the new one. I don't care. As long as I can have this vineyard, you can have money or real estate. Which shall it be? And slowly the boy lifted up his eyes and he said, Master... Uh, I'm grateful for your generosity, but I don't think really you understand. Understand what? This is the inheritance of my fathers. This vineyard belonged to my dad before I was born, and it belonged to his dad before he was born. This is the inheritance of my fathers. And God forbid that I should ever give to thee the inheritance of my fathers. And the king scowled. He said, listen, I'm king. Yes, sir. I don't want to put the pressure on, son, but I can make you or break you. I know. And leave religion out of it. Never mind what Moses said about not selling the inheritance of, of your fathers. Forget it. This is a matter of plain business. I want this vineyard. Now make up your mind. Another vineyard or money. And the die was cast. You could have cut the atmosphere. And the boy looked at him and he said, Okay, I know... You can make me or break me. I know. But you might as well understand one thing now, right now. I will never give to thee the inheritance of my fathers. Never. 
Without a word, the king turned, went out through the gate, up the lane, and through the windows, the wrong windows, into his palace. And shortly, we'll have to go and look for him. But let me stop for a moment and say this. This story from antiquity is so modern, it's difficult to believe it belongs away back there. It's a young man in his vineyard. He possesses something for which his dad sweat and probably died. And the boy's got it. And the glamorous, gaudy prince of this world comes. And he comes close to the boy. And he says, don't be so stuffy and narrow-minded. You can't do this. Ah, hey, son, you let go of that. Look what I can give you. Soft lights and sweet music. Son, I can make you. Oh, you can still believe in God. Sure, no argument. And you can still go to the temple. No argument. But I want that. And if you let me have that, ha, look at this. That, men and women, is as modern a picture as you'll ever find. Let me stop and back up a minute. Driving to church this morning, I said to my brother who got me, we were talking about certain things, and I said this, I have traveled all over the world, surely I know what I'm talking about, this wonderful land of America is the best in the planet. You know, all these stupid guys who say that Russia is the best country in the world, if I were president, I'd cure them. I'd give them a single ticket to Moscow. If it's so wonderful, let them go and enjoy it. Here we have liberty, freedom. We have liberty of worship, liberty of speech. We can read our Bibles and there's no one to push a dagger into our backs. This, to me, is the greatest country in the world. But now hold on to your seat. I hope you Americans will never forget that the people who founded this great land came from my old land. <laughs> Never forget it. <laughs> Children, do you know how this land started to grow? In my country, Britain, the authorities began putting on the squeeze. We didn't have Bibles all over the show. The only Bibles we had were chained to pulpits in the cathedrals. People couldn't read. They weren't as fortunate as you boys and girls. They'd go and sit there for hours hoping somebody would come in who could read. They loved the word of God. They honored the day of God. And they worshipped in the house of God. And then came the authorities to put their Shoes on the necks of the Christians. You give up? Never! And because they wouldn't yield, they left their homeland and sailed into the unknown, not knowing whether they'd ever see land again. When I was in Massachusetts and went to see the model of the replica of that old tub in which they sailed across the Atlantic, I shuddered. And I realized why some of those parents 
in the Pilgrim Party left their children in England because they feared they would die at sea. And when those... I offered him my vineyard twenty times, but the young fool he's so stubborn, and he won't let me have it. Wow! With blistering scorn, she looked down at him and said, "Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? You make me sick. You're supposed to be a king. Act like one. Go meet your dinner. I." We'll give the vineyard to you. She went into the study. She wrote a letter. She put the royal signet on it. She called the servant. She said, take this to the elders of the people. And when they got it, they read it. And one of them, one of them must have said, oh my God. <laughs> it signed with the king's signet. <laughs> he never wrote that one. She did. And God forgive us, we'll have to do it or else. Within 30 minutes, the carrier was going through the streets, announcing a national emergency. Everybody was commanded to come to the temple. And it was packed out. And the old hypocrite in charge of proceedings, he couldn't start. Somebody was missing. Sure! The boy in the vineyard didn't want to go to God's house dirty, so he ran home to wash, and he was a bit late. But they were waiting for him. And when he came in through the door, the priest said, Neighbor, come on, son. There's a seat for you. And embarrassed, because everybody was looking at him, the kid came up and sat down. He hadn't been there many moments before the door opened, and in came two men who had been paid to do a job. They wandered around as if trying to find a seat. And then dramatically they stopped dead. And one shot out an accusing finger and said, You rotten hypocrite! A half an hour ago we heard you blaspheming God and the king. And now you have the gall to sit in the first pew in the new hypocrite. And the boy said, Excuse me. Did you say you heard me blaspheming God? <laughs> nah, you've made a mistake, friend. I love him too much to do that. And then the other hypocrite said, You liar! I was there and I heard you. And the law said out of the mouths of two witnesses, every word was established. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that congregation became a mob. They rushed him out of the temple. And they took him toward the boundaries of the city where they stoned him to death. And on the way, I guess, they passed by a little vineyard. And the old devil said, you fool. You absolute fool. Now what's going to happen to your vineyard, you idiot? And if he could have had his time all over again, young people, do you know what he would have done? Just the same thing. Because he knew what some of us need to discover. It's better to die in honor than live in shame. And as he looked through his tear-filled eyes, he said, I know, I know. But at least when I meet my dad, 
I won't have to apologize, will I? His faith meant something. They took him beyond the boundaries and they stoned him until broken and battered and bruised, his body disappeared beneath the pile of stones. In the distance, the elders looked and they frowned and said, that was dirty, but what else could we do? They wrote their report, dispatched it to the queen, who showed it to her husband. Hey, she said, did you say you wanted um, Naboth's vineyard? Yes, but he won't let me have it. Ah, she said, listen, it's yours. What about Naboth? Don't bother about him. I fixed that. It's yours as a gift from me. He was as excited as a school kid. He jumped up. He ran down there. But he was a bit slow. The prophet beat him to it. As he burst into the vineyard, round the corner came Elijah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Have you ever run headfirst into a rock? You'd have thought he'd bounced off a trampoline. When he saw the king, he staggered back. He said, Hast thou found me, my enemy? Oh, sure, I found you. Seems to me God found you before I did. Because he sent me with a message. And if Matthew's gospel had only been written in those days, I know the text the prophet would have used. Oh, king, you think you are clever. You killed him, didn't you? You didn't. He's just started living. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it again. Oh, king, you're very clever. You saved your life. You didn't, you know. For thus saith the Lord, he that saveth his life shall lose it. In the place where they killed that young man, there shall the dogs lick thy blood. Men and women, old and young, an old, old story of a youngster whose faith meant something. Now then, oh man, lest we forget, lest we forget John and Betty Stamm, the two young American missionaries who were murdered by the communists in China. Lest we forget. I was in South Africa at the time, and news was scanty. We knew something had happened, but there were so many blanks, we couldn't fill in those blanks, until a missionary who had escaped out of China on his way home called in at Cape Town, and he told us the story. Talk, lest we forget! John and Betty Stam. She was 26 and he was 27 and they had a wonderful little baby girl. The communists took them and the missionary said on the last morning they lived they were led up a little hill and the old communist general an arrogant demon he looked at his followers and he singled out one man. He said, you, how long have you been a communist? Thirty-seven years, General. Good. 
You are my eldest. You shall have the honor of taking the head of this white pig. Those who were there said that when her husband's head rolled in the dust, Betty Stan, the wife, now a widow, never uttered a sound. They said her body shook from head to foot. Then the general turned to a slip of a kid and he said, How old are you, son? I'm 17, general. Good. He was my eldest. You are my youngest. You shall have the honor of taking the head off this other white pig. Betty Stam was holding her little girl. Within one minute, she was reunited with her man in the glory land. But when she was decapitated, the little girl fell to the ground. And it was then that hell broke loose. A Chinese doctor, schoolmaster, he held both jobs. He stepped out and he looked the old general full in the face and he said, General, you've killed the father and you've killed the mother, but that baby hasn't hurt anybody. The man who was mad anyhow, he looked at the Chinese gentleman and he said, Are you telling me what I ought to do? Yes, I'm telling you. And he went crazy. And the doctor's head rolled in the dust. And hell was let loose. Ladies and gentlemen, behold a miracle. When they were shouting and yelling and fighting and pushing, an unknown Chinese lady with a wicker basket, the sort of thing she'd carry linen, washing in. She stepped out, and in the midst of all this row, she picked up the little girl, popped her into the basket, and went for her life. To hide during the daylight hours and to travel by night. Let me back up just a moment, because I want you to get it all. The night before it happened, Betty Stam. 26 years of age, had a strange premonition. She knew her husband would die and she knew she would die with him, but she felt that the baby somehow would live. She took all the money she had in the world, $10, and with a safety pin, she pinned the $10 to the baby's dress. When the Chinese lady lifted that child and went for her life, those ten dollars bought enough milk to keep the baby alive until they reached the distant village where there was a Chinese mother with her baby. And she took the American child and fed her at her own breast. However, this makes me feel that tall. In her cell, hours before she was beheaded, Betty Stam took a pen and she wrote some words that should be engraven in gold. Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not? 
baptize with blood a stony plot, till souls shall blossom from the spot, afraid of that. Fear God. Fear God. Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not baptize with blood a stony plot, till souls shall blossom from the spot. Those words are now immortal. And she went out to die for her faith. I'd been visiting the Temple of the Dawn in Thailand. My wife was too tired and I'd climbed the steps to make a movie. And when I came back, my wife was sitting on the wall. And I sat down to fiddle with my camera and see to the films. And Betty, my wife, said, See that kid opposite? And I looked. Oh, it's fast from here to that front seat. Because this was a kind of an alleyway going to the big temple. I said, that boy selling ties? Yeah, he'll be after you. I said, after me? She said, you'll see. All the time the launches were coming, bringing tourists to see this temple. In between the arrival of launches, when there was nobody about, the kid came beeline straight at me. Mister, are you a Christian? He didn't know me from Adam, except I had more clothes on. You a Christian? Now, I know many, many Americans who would have blasted him. I said, sure, son. Are you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I, I gave my heart to Jesus two years ago. I said, good. He said, but then my father and mother kicked me out. Listen, young people. For God's sake, listen. I said, your father and mother kicked you out? Oh, yes, they don't believe in Jesus. And they said they didn't want any, any Jesus believer in their family, so they kicked me out. I said, what did you do? Oh, he said, I found an empty shop and curled up in the doorway and went to sleep there all night. I said, how did you hear about Jesus? Oh, he said, we have a missionary, an, an American mission. I said, how many of you? He said, 22. And, and our missionary said, but unless we tell about Jesus, our people will never hear about him. So that's why he came at me. i never forget it. I said, what do you do? In, hey, do you ever sing, um, do you ever sing choruses in your mission? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, sing me one. San, sao, pajau, hallelujah, san. I said, wait a minute, I know that. Only we sing English. We sing Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. I, I said, I tell you what, kid, let's have a duet. By this time, another lawn should come, and they thought I had sunstroke. We started and we finished together, but where we went in between, only the Lord knows. San sao pajau, hallelujah. San sao pajau, hallelujah. San sao pajau, hallelujah. San sao pajau. And the little Methodist lady pushed her way out of the crowd. Oh, she said, sir, you make me think of our Methodist church back home. Our young people sing that. I said to the kid, you lost your parents and your home? Yes. You're trying to live by selling ties? Oh, you stand and save a bit. I said, you're saving for what? He said, I hope to give my life fully to Jesus one day and be a missionary. And I thought 
of the pathetic, apathetic young people we have back in America. If you want them in church, you have to feed them hamburgers. And even if you fed steaks to their parents, they're too tired to come. And then we say, we believe in Calvary's cross. Dear God, save us from being hypocrites. I started with a question and I sure finished with one. What does your faith mean to you? Now don't be a humbug. Honest before God, ladies and gentlemen. Forget the church momentarily. Where you live your life day after day, honest. What does Jesus mean to you? Come on, kids, when you're in school. It's all right when you're in, in, in your Awana group. That's wonderful. And in Sunday school. But when you get out with others who never go to Sunday school, what does Jesus mean to you? My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, Lord Jesus, is now. I learned to love him 67 years ago. I loved him so much that I had to tell others about him. So when I was 14, I started to preach. And for 66 years, ladies and gentlemen, I've tried to tell people about Jesus. And do you know, honest, he's more wonderful now than he was 66 years ago. And that's why I stand in this pulpit and I recommend him to you. Do you honestly love Christ enough to give your life to him? Backslider, when all the smoke has been blown away, do you really love Christ and want to serve him? Can you think of any better time to start than now?